The unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So good morning everyone. I um, really enjoyed the Dharma discussion that we had yesterday and um, I think the retreat is going pretty well and um, it's wonderful to have you all here again today. I thought um, the topic for my talk today is loving-kindness, but I wanted to talk about something called the great grief first because I think it ties into what we were talking about yesterday in regards to um, compassion arising and not being able to help the person who the compassion was arising towards. And this is called the great grief that um, as we open our hearts we may feel the suffering of others and the suffering in the world, you know, besides our own suffering. And it appears that there is nothing that we can do about it. Um, and it was talked about yesterday that this may be because the people aren't ready to accept um, the teaching. They are um, don't know how and perhaps aren't ready to change in ways that will um, help their suffering. So we can't, appear, it appears that we can't really help them. And yet we can offer them loving kindness, we can offer them merit, and we can do our, our, our own training. Because in doing our own training and people seeing that there, that there is an end to suffering can help people perhaps want to change. But we can only do something about ourselves and offer loving kindness. We cannot change the world. And I wanted to read, read you something from Rora the Tigress in which Reverend Master Jiyu talks about what is called the great grief. And I had an experience of this um, before I became a monk. I had uh, two cats at the time, they were actually kittens, and I named them Alexander and Granny Bell. And um, one day Granny Bell was uh, out in the street and she got hit by a car and she died. And poor little Alexander was out there mourning her death and I was in a particularly open state and I not only felt her grief but it opened me to the grief of the world. And I think this can happen when someone we love dies. Um, we open ourselves perhaps to something bigger than the grief of that one person or that one animal. And this is what Reverend Master Jiyu says in Roar the Tigris Volume 2 in the chapter on the Great Ocean of Meditation. It's very humbling Oh wait, I started at the wrong place. Viewing the arising and vanishing of the elements from the place of meditation makes it possible to go onward, 
not only through the fears that arise from attachment, but also through the grief that arises in this sad world. Indeed, sometimes the world is cruel and unfair. Sometimes it's downright terrible. These things are explained by the law of karma. Karma is cold comfort. I know, I've had to live with it. But if one stays still in meditation, gradually one sees over the years that the essence is the supreme thing. That our little judgments and our little opinions do not really amount to so much as one hair on a dog's back. It's very humbling to realize how great the design of the universe is because it is not fully comprehensible by any of us. But one can have some glimpse of the colossal size of it and how important and benevolent it actually is. Yes, all the suffering go, does go on, on an individual level, or so it seems, and so long as our faith stays true, we can help that suffering by staying within the third position or staying still um, in our meditation. That does not mean that we become cold-hearted. It doesn't mean that we become non-compassionate. It doesn't mean we can't grieve. The Zen master can both grieve and cry, but his grief does not overwhelm him so that he is incapable of acting, because he himself or she is rooted in faith and meditation. And this is something that we can all do. And the same can be true of every monk and lay person. If you are rooted in faith and living in the third position, then when the horrors of stupidity and ignorance come, you will not be overwhelmed by the suffering. Instead, you will want to renew your own efforts, both at helping and strengthening your own faith and in helping and strengthening the faith of others. And this is the answer to really what is going on right now in this world and, and how we're feeling about it. To do otherwise is to be immersed in the opposites, in ignorance of what is real. Have you ever thought about the word ignorance? To ignore. We ignore what is really going on. We ignore the basic truth. We ignore the fact that the unborn exists. We ignore that there is karma, and that one has to pay for that which happens. What happens in sp spring decides what happens in autumn. If you ignore what happens in spring, you will be surprised by the crop that turns up later. That is on a very practical level, and this is true of our own lives. If your faith is rooted in this place, in the living medicine, meditative state that bears the seal of the ocean, then although there will be grief, although there will be pain, it will be bearable. And we will still not be so caught up in the emotionalism of the moment that we do, know, do not know what to do to alleviate the pain of self and others. We will in fact, because we are not caught up in that emotionalism, be the most effective people possible. You must accept that, whilst we remain in this body, whilst the elements coalesce together, life will be painful. What we need to know is that we can sit still beneath it. The Zen master does not offer you magic that will turn off the pain of the world. 
he or she does show you how you can sit still beneath that pain so that you can help the world to make itself less painful. If you wish to think of that as magic, you may, but it isn't. It's very hard work. And that's how it's done. By sitting still in the place of meditation and allowing the essence to flow through you. And in reading, um, I think it was in the Book of Joy, but it might have been in another book about the Dalai Lama, that if someone would tell him something um, that was painful, some of the suffering in the world, or if he would see it, he would feel that grief deeply, but then he would let it go. It It would go. He didn't hold on to it or worry about it. It would come and it would go, and he could be joyful um, a little while later because he wasn't holding on to the grief of the world. So now I'd like to go back to the topic that I chose for today's talk, which is loving kindness. And um, loving kindness is one of the four Brahma Viharas. The Brahma Viharas are also called the Four Immeasurables or the Four Divine Abodes. And this is because they are immeasurable, they are boundless. They radiate in all directions. And they are our true nature. When we um, are in touch with our true nature, these Four Immeasurables can flow out of us unimpeded. They are both our true nature and something that we can work on because as you all know we aren't always in touch with our true nature but there are things that we can do to help with that the four Brahma Viharas are metta or loving kindness which I'm going to talk about today karuna which is compassion mudita which is empathetic joy and this means that um, naturally when the self is out of the way we feel joy when other people have something good happen to them. Joy just arises because we're interconnected. But very often there is something in the way and there's jealousy or envy or even downright um, meanness that arises. Um, Now that's okay because all those things are, are not real. They just can come and go if we don't grab onto them. The fourth Brahma Vihara is equanimity. And I see this as staying still in the midst of conditions, not being pulled around by the ups and downs of daily life. So this is um, what we try and do in meditation. Um, you know, sometimes things are difficult and sometimes things are are not difficult maybe they're really good and we try and just stay still and not be pulled around by by any of these things and this is what equanimity is and I read that these four Brahma Viharas have what are called the far enemies and the near enemies And the far enemies can be very um, obvious that this is what would get in the way of these Brahma Viharas. 
and the near enemies are not quite uh, so obvious and may even be mistaken as uh, a friend to the Brahma Viharas, but in, actua in actuality they are not. Um, so I'll just read them so you can uh, think about these. The far enemy of loving kindness is ill will. The near enemy of loving kindness is selfish affection, and we're going to talk about that a bit more. The far enemy of compassion is cruelty, and the near enemy is pity. The far enemy of sympathetic joy is resentment. The near enemy is exuberance, um, pretending that we're really happy when we're really not. Um, and the far enemy is of equanimity is craving or clinging, and the near enemy is indifference. So some of these I'll be talking about, and some I might not get to, so it's, it's something to think about. I'd like to read to you the Metta Sutra, which is fairly short, in this book called Loving Kindness. And this is what the Buddha taught his monks when they were having trouble in a forest they went to meditate in. There were tree spirits in the forest, and they did not like having the monks there disturbing their, their forest. So they did all kinds of things to scare the monks, and it worked. The monks got really scared and came running back to the Buddha and said, can we meditate in another forest? And the Buddha said, no, but I will tell you what you can do. So he taught them the Metta Sutra, what they could do, and also that they could offer loving kindness to the tree spirits. And when they did this, the, the warmth of the loving kindness that they offered, the tree spirits really liked this. So instead of scaring them, they, um, they protected them and took care of them. And this is a clue as to, um, as to what we can do because when um, we're offering loving kindness, um, it can help with fear and it can help with the <coughs> reactions that people, I'm not saying this very well. Um, when we let the flow of loving kindness come from our Buddha nature, it's hard for people to be angry with us or, or cause us harm because they're affected by the, um, the truth of this loving kindness. Loving kindness is real. It's not a pretend, something pretend. It's something that really flows from us when it's unimpeded. So this is what the Buddha taught his monks. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, 
Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, freed, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. This is something that we sing at one of our ceremonies, and I have to admit, in reading it, I wanted to break out in song, but um, fortunately I did not, <laughs> because I can't uh, stay in tune. Um, so this is kind of a tall order, but it's, it's, um, it's our true nature. It's our true nature to be, to be loving. We don't have to like someone or even try to like someone to offer them loving-kindness. It doesn't mean that we condone what they might be doing. It is very similar to offering merit to someone. We can think of someone, an animal, a group of people, etc. at the beginning of a meditation period and offer the merit of that meditation to them. Then we just meditate as usual. There are many other ways of offering merit as well. Here at the Abbey, we regularly do transfer of merit ceremonies on a Sunday. And since the um, outbreak of the coronavirus, we've increased the frequency of offering this ceremony. So there are many things you can do to offer merit. And I wanted to talk about how we allow this loving-kindness to flow through us. We don't try to cut off our thoughts. We may even become more aware of unkind thoughts that arise within the mind. We may um, be aware of ill will 
that arises within the mind and um, I have noticed this in myself and one time when I was out at our hermitage doing a retreat um, there was someone I was feeling particularly um, had some mean thoughts about somebody I was having trouble with and I decided that I would be very mindful and whenever a um, a mean thought arose, I would just let it arise and let it pass. And I did this um, all throughout my time there. can't remember if it was two weeks or a month, but whenever a mean thought would arise, I'd watch it arise and I'd watch it pass. And this takes a lot of effort because being mindful all day long is, is a lot of work. But I really worked on it during that retreat. And when I came back and saw this monk, thoughts of loving-kindness arose instead. And it just showed me that this was, this was the true nature um, coming through, but if we're constantly feeding those negative thoughts, that's what keeps, that's what keeps arising. Um, there was a story of a monk who, went to, who was working on loving-kindness, and he went to sit in a cave and every time he had a negative thought, a mean thought, he would put, I think, a black X on the wall of a cave. And whenever he had a, a kind thought, he would put a white X. Um, at first, it was just all black Xs. And, but gradually, there would be a white X now and then. But after a, a long time of meditating, um, there were a lot of white Xs. So um, this is a matter of, of effort. And sometimes it's easier when we're meditating formally to let our, our thoughts arise and pass than it is when we are um, there with someone um, who is uh, perhaps driving us crazy or annoying us for some reason. Um, and that's when we really have to work on just letting these thoughts come and go. And sometimes the reason we have negative thoughts about someone is because they remind us of some aspect of ourself that we would rather not see. So this is something, this is something to look at. So as we talked about in the discussion yesterday, offering ourselves our compassion, we can offer ourselves the loving kindness, and we need to start by, by doing that. One of the ways that it is said that you can start to offer loving kindness is first by offering loving kindness to yourself then offering loving-kindness to people that you love, then to people that you like, <coughs> and perhaps then to um, 
somebody you feel neutral towards and then to perhaps towards an, someone you think of as an enemy. And I remember giving this advice to someone once who was having trouble um, with people he was working with and he did this exercise faithfully every day and when I talked to him the next time he said there were no enemies anymore. So I think this really works if this is something that appeals to you. In the Book of Joy, I read another way of doing this, which I, I think uh, might work a little better, especially if you are having trouble thinking kind thoughts towards yourself. You can start by thinking um, of someone you really love, and it could be a pet. So I experimented with this and allowed myself to feel these very loving thoughts towards my cat, and uh, which was pretty easy to do. And once I had those warm feelings going and that loving feeling going, then I took those loving feelings and I directed them towards me. So that made it a little bit easier for me to um, offer myself loving kindness. Um, because if we can't offer ourselves loving kindness, it's very hard to let to offer it to other beings. So um, again, the way to do this is just by, as we talked about earlier, allowing the thoughts to come and go. So it's it's so important. The whole so much of this is just takes place in our brains. It's the willingness to to really work on on letting the thoughts come and go and allowing the natural flow of loving-kindness to come through and to trust that it is there. Now, it might be easy to offer loving-kindness towards someone you love or an animal. It might even be possible for you to offer it to yourself and to other people that you love. But what about people you think are causing great harm? Um, again, you don't have to feel um, you condone what they're doing and you don't have to um, like them. But when we, when we indulge in ill will and um, mean thoughts, and then we start talking about other people, um, that harms us. And so it's, um, we can really make an effort to not impede the flow of loving kindness. Um, and we can do this, although I have to say that it is difficult. When I was um, out at the Hermitage, Working on this talk, I decided to go for a walk, and I went and sat down on a bench to, to meditate, and first one big black ant bit me behind my knee, and then another big black ant bit me behind the other knee. I don't know if they'd worked it out ahead of time, but, but at any rate, I was angry. And um, when I got back to the uh, hermit, to the house, I decided to, I still could feel a bit of the anger, and um, 
So I decided to offer the ants loving kindness because I know that that's the antidote to anger. Um, and I thought to myself, if something this small can cause anger, how can we work on things that are big? You know, people causing harm, somebody who says something harmful to us or his, who is mean to us, how can we um, offer them loving kindness? Well, it is something to work on. Um, it's something that the Dalai Lama, um, Desmond Tutu, and Maha Gosananda have had to work on in their lives. And my guess is it has not been easy. And I wanted to read you um, something that the Dalai Lama said in the Book of Joy about this, showing you that he was he's a human being, and this is something he has to actually work on. So this is what he says. Perhaps here I may mention something from my own experience, the Dalai Lama said. March 10, 2008. Every year, the Tibetan exile community commemorates March 10th as Tibetan Uprising Day, remembering the 1959 protest against Chinese occupation that ultimately, ultimately led to the crackdown against the Tibetan freedom movement and the Dalai Lama's flight into exile. In 2008, leading up to the Beijing Olympics, that day had turned violent, starting in the Tibetan capital of Lhasa and then spreading throughout Tibet and cities around the world. As usual, we had a gathering to commemorate the 10th of March. After the meeting was over, I received a message from Lhasa that some of the local people had started demonstrations. When I heard this, I was very concerned and quite anxious. I could not do anything. I felt helpless. I knew if they really carried out demonstrations, it would actually result only in more suffering, more problems. And this is exactly what happened. With the violent crackdown and the death and imprisonment of so many P Tibetans who had participated in the protests, Wait a second. And this is exactly what happened. With the violent crackdown and the death and imprisonment of so many Tibetans who had participated in the protests. Over the next few days, during my meditation, I actually visualized some of those Chinese local authorities and did one of our practices called Tonglen. Now this isn't something that we do, but um, this is something that the Tibetan practitioners do. Liter literally meaning giving and taking. I try to take on their fear, anger, suspicion, and to give them my love, my forgiveness. Of course, this would have had no physical effect on the ground. It would not change the situation. But you see, mentally it was very, very helpful to keep a calm mind. It was a good opportunity to practice forgiveness and compassion. So I think that every person has this same sort of opportunity, this same capacity.
And this is what uh, Desmond Tutu says. I weep when something has happened where I may not be able to assist. I acknowledge that it is something I can do very little about. I remember one of the times that I was quite despairing. Chris Haney, one of our most incredible young leaders, was one of our most incredible young leaders. There was no doubt he was going to succeed Nelson Mandela, but then he was assassinated just before Easter, leading up to our first democratic elections. I was at the cathedral in Cape Town when I heard. I was stunned, as were most South Africans. I got, I got back home to Bishop's Court. Leah, that's his wife, said to me there have been many calls about Chris Haney. I broke down and Leah held me like I was a baby. I think it helped because later on I had to go and preach at his funeral, and we had a huge crowd of people who were very, very angry. I knew how they felt because I had been through the same sort of thing, and I could appeal to them not from a superior position, but from a position of one who was with them and who had felt the same anguish and pain. It is also good to recognize, speaking from our struggle against apartheid, how incredibly noble people are. You know, human beings are basically good. You know that's where we have to start. And they talk about this a lot, about that people are basically good. That everything else is an aberration. Anything that swerves away from that is the exception even when now and again they can be very frustrating. People are remarkably, remarkably, remarkably good, incredible in their gener generosity. And we had the opportunity of seeing this, especially during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. It was, lazy, it was amazing to listen to people who had suffered, not only black people, you know, white people too, not only South Africans, but Americans. There was a family whose daughter had been killed, brutally killed, who came and said they supported the granting of amnesty to those who had killed their daughter so gruesomely. The parents had even opened a nonprofit to help people in the township where their daughter had been murdered, and they had, been em and they had even employed the men who had killed their daughter and whose amnesty they had supported. We've, also, we've always got to be recognizing that despite the aberrations, the fundamental thing about humanity, about humankind, about people, is that they are good. They were made good and they really want to be good. So I think that's something to keep in mind during what is going on in the world right now. There, is, um, there are a lot of people doing a lot of good and sometimes it helps to look at the good news station to see all the wonderful things that are going on in the world. So, you know, these are two very remarkable men, but they've had to work on it. You know, it, it isn't it doesn't look like it's com it comes easy, and you can see that they feel the suffering just like any other human being. And it just shows us, through their example, that we can work on um, 
allowing the compassion and the loving kindness to be there and not to harden our hearts. Well, you know what? It's <laughs> it's 11.40, and I was going to... Um, I don't want this talk to go on too long because some of the things that I was going to say, I can say tomorrow. So what I am going to do is end with a little prayer in this book called Step by Step by Mahagosananda, which is... Um, very nice and I think it's a nice way to end the talk. It's called A Prayer for Peace. Dear brothers and sisters, my name is Maha Gosananda and I am a Buddhist monk from Cambodia. The people of Cambodia have known great suffering. I pray that, like millions of peaceful Cambodian people, all people will find strength and compassion in their hearts and guidance in these words of the Buddha. In those who harbor thoughts of blame and vengeance towards others, hatred would, will never cease. In those who do not harbor blame and vengeance, hatred will surely cease. For hatred is never appeased by hatred. Hatred is appeased by love. This is an eternal law. So there is always something we can do. We can always let go. Just as a mother would protect her only child, even at the risk of her own life. So let one cultivate a boundless heart towards all beings. Let, let one's thoughts of love pervade the whole world, above, below, and across, without any obstruction, without any hatred, without any enmity. As long as one is awake, one should maintain this mindfulness. This is to obtain the blessed state in this very life. The suffering of Cambodia has been deep. From this suffering comes great compassion. Great compassion makes a peaceful heart. A peaceful heart makes a peaceful person. A peaceful person makes a peaceful family. A peaceful family makes a peaceful community. A peaceful community makes a peaceful nation. And a peaceful nation makes a peaceful world. May all beings live in happiness and peace. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha.